All right. What's up, my Ludites, my climate change deniers, my geocentrists? Welcome to Times of Flat Circle, a look at how humans keep getting it wrong. I'm your host, Joseph, the youngest, and I'm here with uh, my brother, Adrian. What's up? What's up? <laughs> was every time. I was not expecting you to do it. Every time. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, yeah. This is Adrian recording live from Dallas, from the attic, like always. I'm going to go ahead and throw it to who I always throw it to. Uh, the man who uh, only, I don't even know. I can't even say it. Hi, man. <laughs> What's up, guys? Fresh shaven haircut. Ready to get this podcast going. Kick it over to Honda, who's not looking so freshly shaved in haircut. What's up, guys? It's Hondo. Jaime finally had the ball to come at me with some insults, so I appreciate it. Um, moving to a new location because with the new mic, y'all can hear office reruns in the background. Um, so figured it'd be better to just start it off kicking fresh. Um, and I'll pass it over to my homeboy, Andre, uh, to close it out. I, I just have one question, Honda. Which office episode was it? It was the office episode where the, ah, man, I'm trying to blank right now. I watched this so many times and you'd think I'd understand this. Oh, it was the one where um, Jim and Karen and Michael all interviewed uh, for the position in uh, New York. That one's that one's garbage. Yeah, I only watch Scott's Tots. <laughs> the, the only one I can't watch. The only one I have a physical reaction to. All right, y'all. So it's going to be a fun, interesting ride that uh, we're going to talk about today because we all went on a journey this week uh, watching... Alejandro Jodorowsky's The Holy Mountain. And uh, I think we've got a lot to unpack. Uh, let's just get into it. I mean, uh, a lot of this stems from our ideas of archetypes in the modern day and how we keep seeing examples of different archetypes play out in political stages or just in the media, uh, especially movies right now. Uh, we're lining up with a lot of different things that history has told us to look out for. Um, but it seems like we're a little more blind to it than we have been in the past for whatever reason. So, uh, I think it's, it's safe to say this whole, this whole kind of movie is, is, is kind of blatantly about different kinds of archetypes that exist in, uh, culture in general, as well as, uh, I guess like spiritual identities, media, religion, it goes through a wide gamut of just kind of uh, archetypes in general. It's deep. Uh, uh, so let's, let's just get into it with some takes, some hot takes about this movie real quick. I know, uh, Adrian kind of sounded like he had a pretty hot take. So I want to go to him last. So let's, uh, decide who's going to go first. I want to say Andre definitely did not like this movie. So let's start there. This was the single worst way I've ever spent two hours of my life. <laughs> Um, it was very, very outside of the box in that, like, you couldn't even see the box. You were so far outside of it, um, which was interesting. I didn't really get any of the archetypes from this, I think, because I was just in shock the whole time watching it. And then we get to the end and I was kind of like, okay, I mean, sure, we'll talk about it. But I just kind of thought that that was it. OK. And then I went up to go play indoor soccer. <laughs> So you didn't really like take anything away from the movie after seeing it? Like nothing. No, 
No, wow. I was drinking a lot though. So there was, there was that. I mean, basically this movie to me, the very end is just a big fuck you to the movie industry. <laughs> Wait, to the movie industry or like the watch, like, were you offended by it? Like, were you not offended? <laughs> were you upset by it? I, maybe I upset? was. I don't know. Maybe I took that personally, but I was like, this is the dumbest ending to a movie. And we just watched Tao. So like it was dumber than that. <laughs> At least there I got wow, Gary Oldman. Wow. All right. All right. Next level, next level. Let's go to uh, let's go to Hondo. What was your what was your takeaway? So I, I guess just going right at Andre at this point, I'm going to disagree completely with his take on the ending. I thought the ending was fucking brilliant. Um, I think kind of to to his point though, you had to look really, really, really hard uh, for a message in there. Um, I think it's a it's something that if you are looking for the message and you find it, you can kind of see how the story plays along with it. But there's just so much vivid, psychedelic color, intense, just imagery going on throughout the entire thing um, that creates just a level of discomfort where it's almost hard to look for the story because you're so focused on everything else outside of what the story is trying to tell you. Um, I thought it was a, admittingly, I did have to read a couple of articles afterwards because I was fucking lost. (laughs) Um, But after reading it, it kind of made sense in terms of there was a story there, but it was just so exaggerated that it was kind of lost in itself because every scene was just something so outlandish or so outstanding that you kind of had to take yourself out of it and bring yourself back in before you got any sense of what it was referring to. But I know I thought, I thought the ending was amazing. Like I loved it. At least the, the, the back end of it where he's just like, yeah, Hey, guess what? All of this is bullshit. It's on y'all to decide that what you want to make of it. And I thought that was a cool way to show you by showing like, Hey, this is even a movie. It's nothing. <laughs> so I thought it was pretty cool. All right. All right. Pretty much the entirely opposite take. You, you, you researched a little bit after the fact, whereas uh, Andre just immediately forgot about it, yeah. <laughs> or maybe maybe not forgot about it. Just I, didn't so, so I'm gonna be honest. I started watching this. It was a Holy Mountain, and then I had to put on The Hobbit, which was involves the Lonely Mountain that I kept talking about in the group chat. But like, I just needed something that was the complete opposite of this movie. <laughs> yeah. I will say to Andre's point, it, the movie is it's very very uncomfortable. Like, I think the movie's designed to make you feel that way. It uses some just weird shit that if you're not, and I guess kind of to the point, I think that's what Adrian was alluding to last week where it's like, if you're not ready for it, it just hits you like a punch in the gut to where you kind of spend the whole movie trying to recover from it. Like I, I was trying to eat breakfast while I watched this and two minutes into the movie, I stopped eating. So like I, it was, it was very uncomfortable. Um, and it was kind of hard to push through that as the movie was going on. All right. All right. I, I, I can see that definitely not my take, but I can see that. What, what did you think about it? Jaime? Uh, yeah. Like the first 20 minutes, I don't know if I was in shock just because of the disturbing imagery or that, uh, no one talked yet. So at least if someone had said something, it would have been comforting, uh, with the jarring, uh, imagery that, that you saw. Um, I don't, uh, Hondo, I don't think you had to look too far at all really to, uh, to dig the message. Uh, it certainly was exaggerated. Uh, but once you kind of got your bearings, as, as Andre was saying, once you realized you were in the box, um, then they really illustrated the mechanisms of civilization and society and all the absurdities in it, uh, quite, uh, is very much in your face. Uh, but all, 
also not without the um, like it wasn't the director wasn't saying here's my take on society. Here's why we need to rebel against it. Here's how we need to, I don't know, take down the government or something like that. It was very much just, this is how things actually function. This is how absurd it all is. Like take your own path as Honda was saying with the, with the ending of the film. So you saw it as maybe like uh, putting up a mirror to society as a whole. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I was once, once we were able, again, able to get our bearings, uh, I actually really like the, the farcical example of the, the conquest of Mexico with the toads. That, that, was, a, that, was, a, that was the most unique retelling of history I've ever seen. Uh, but yeah, yeah. You didn't have to look uh, too far. It was all kind of right there in front of you. All right. All right. All right. Adrian, let's hear it. I know you got something to say, uh, about your, your relationship with this movie. So, I I think like a, one, it's a movie that uh, like everyone mentioned, it, it's so bizarre that it does kind of take you just out of your comfort zone. And I do think it, it really was done that way um, by design. I think you have to kind of get out of your comfort zone to kind of see what Alejandro was trying to accomplish with, with the movie and what he wanted to say. Um, and I think everyone's kind of hit on it in terms of like, there's, there's so many things um, when it comes to the game of life. And I think that's really what he's uh, showing us. It's like, well, at first you don't know how to talk at first. You don't even know how to like be around other people. And then you, you understand like what the game is and like what success is you cl- climb the tower, you get shown a mentor the mentor takes you on this wild journey. You meet a bunch of people that you, you don't really like, uh, and you end up all becoming gods. And at the end of it, you realize like, Oh yeah, that was all for nothing. It was just another absurd game we were playing. And, uh, it's all a joke. Just live your life. Uh, it, it was pretty interesting that like you went through, through so many, uh, just bizarre vignettes. Cause you can't even tell that it's a, a real story until you maybe watch it for like the second time. Uh, and I feel like or all those, third or fourth. Yeah. All those vignettes are, are what mess you up. I, I think there's not a lot of narrative story in there and it's so steeped in the actual archetypes. And that's really all you're seeing. You're seeing like the, the Jesus archetype played out by like the, that the main character, like the, the father, son, the mentor student archetype going on. Like there's, there's so many different archetypes that you don't even need a story yet. Somehow we get to, understand what's going on and like to Jaime's point like you're, you're understanding what's going on and there, there isn't even a word spoken in the first like 25 minutes which is I mean, bizarre uh, to, to say the least that, that we can somehow glean meaning from it so, and my, my hot take is uh, uh, I guess not much of a hot take because it feels like a lot of folks here got the same vibe I will say one thing this was based on uh, several different like source materials, one of them being a book called Mount Analog, a novel of symbolically authentic non-Euclidean adventures in mountain climbing. Insane title. So you know it's an insane book. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to waste my time <laughs> saying it again. But yeah, uh, the uh, in the book, there's it's really an allegory on mount, how mountain climbing kind of... Um, pertains to life in general but one of the things that um, they talk about is this particular mountain that everyone uh that's like a insane alpine person is trying to get to is uh or trying to conquer 
um, doesn't even show itself until you realize it's there. And I feel like this is kind of the same thing, like until you realize kind of like, hey, we're all in the game and this, this is all like a, a bunch of bullshit. Can you really like see the movie for what it is? So you, you kind of have to be like a seeker, I feel like, and go in knowing you you, you want to be shown something to actually be shown it. If not, it, it just kind of looks like, yeah, this guy like put a whole bunch of weird images in the blender and hope the movie like ended up being a cult film. Well, this is also coming off the back of uh, an actual like hit cult film that he created. So having that sense of, I don't know, uh, ego versus humbling himself to create this kind of movie. Uh, I don't know if he, he really did humble himself. Um, maybe it was just kind of feeding his ego uh, that El Topo was so, uh, I guess, not uh, well-received, but cult-received. Like, the, there was a cult following of that movie, like, almost immediately after it came out. So, I guess the interesting thing about how the movie got made and, and who Jared Rowski is, is kind of how much... Uh, the themes and I guess archetypes that are related in this specific movie, uh, play out just like in his, in his life. There's, there's, uh, uh, and I think one point of contention I have with your take Adrian is that there's no, you're saying like, there's no real narrative as opposed to like uh, story driven narrative. Well, I think that there definitely is like you you, you meet a, a character that, uh, for all intents and purposes becomes the protagonist of the story. Uh, throughout it's uh, the thief the fool um, he he is the person whose story you're following who uh, kind of and and it, it, he travels through kind of a a, a pretty normal <laughs> hero's story arc yeah, and, like, and I would agree I think it's a, like a typical three-act structure um, what I meant to say when I said there wasn't a lot of narrative is there's no real backstory or reason to empathize with this guy uh there's no real villains that you're kind of hoping he he conquers they're like they're on a journey they're on an adventure um but it's just like with uh, the lord of the rings there's no sauron that you you know that they're trying to to defeat like there, there's none of what would typically make you um be involved with or empathize with characters in this story it's just kind of a story for story's sake <laughs> What, no, what did you say that they? Yeah, I was gonna say. What did you say that they were trying to like? I guess their enemy at that point was themselves, right? Because they were trying to achieve enlightenment, they were trying to be immortal, and they were trying to quote unquote be the gods. So, in essence, their their enemy was that next level that they had not ascertained yet. So, from the perspective of when they're getting up there, they all sit underneath the hill, staring at the gods, saying, "Oh, hey, those are the ones we're going to overtake." And then Alejandro Jaworski's uh, whole point was that, no, guys, like the gods aren't the bad guys. Your current selves are the bad guys. Like those are the people that you have to be able to overcome and, and adapt to. Giving up is the bad guy. That's what I took away from it. Like the only bad, like the only bad guy is giving up. Like just keep going. Yeah. Like be happy. Don't try to define yourself by a certain thing, like experience life for what it is and enjoy it kind of thing. Right. And don't stop. Yep. Yeah, I got none of that for the record. I was just like, when is this going to end? When is it? I was like, okay, I'm 10 minutes away. Like, I'm going to finish this, I'm going to go. 
Andre, how many times did you pause it to check the timer? How much how much movie was left? A lot. A lot. <laughs> no, Andre, like what so at what point were you just like fold? Were like you just folded your hand, like you did, like didn't care about the movie anymore? I think it was right either right before or right when we got to Uranus. <laughs> I can't tell if you're joking or not. No, no, I'm not. That, was, no. that was legitimate. Yeah. Was that the that architect? Was the part where I was or? like, this is, this is only going to get worse and I just have to get through it. Which, uh, whoa. What was the character? Was he like the architect? Was Uranus he the... is the guy who ends up being the financial advisor to the president, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, with the, yeah. the weird relationship yeah. he had I, with I his mom. That, you assholes. I hated this movie. <laughs> that was a creepy ass imagery. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting in that five foot tall toilet seat. <laughs> but also, after they made him like smoke his own shit, I was kind of like, okay, that's, that's where we're going. Like, I, I buckled in at that point. See, and I, I feel like I took a lot, of, even on the first one, I took a lot of meaning out of that one, or that scene where he was smoking his own shit or breathing in his own shit. Can I ask you, Adrian, have you ever smoked your own shit before? <laughs> I have not. I have not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, it's, it's the, the whole, the whole like shit to gold. Uh, yeah, that that was pretty easy. I don't know. That resonated for whatever reason. That's like the like, easy thing to to not understand completely, but like you on a, on a base level, you kind of get it like, okay, this alchemist is literally turning shit into gold. Well, <laughs> so, well, in, in my head, it was, it wasn't the alchemist. It was like the alchemist just showed him kind of through blood, sweat and tears. You can turn your, like you can turn what, what you are into something that's precious. Even if you're starting from, from shit. Man, y'all were really looking for like themes in this movie, and I was not at all. So I, Dude, he, I don't even know if it was looking. He legit said in that scene, he's like, "You are shit, but you can become wait, gold." There, there like, was dialogue in that scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wait, and and so, uh, not to get too off track, but I, I do feel like this is one of those um, movies that almost felt to me like an acid trip, and I I've definitely yeah. <laughs> I've definitely uh, been in, in the state of mind or wherever where like there's like deeper meaning that you're you're starting to see when you're you're on one of those trips and like sometimes the ego just doesn't want like it just shuts it down and then it turns into a bad trip and then you're just you're, you're lost in space and and whatnot versus like starting to see like some of these I don't know truths that that you maybe don't see in your day to day. Are you saying I had a bad trip, Adrian? It sounds like it. It sounds like you had a bad trip, and, you, and your ego was well, like, no, "No, no, no." I think the, I think the movie was like ready it. to set. The Go movie ahead. was ready to set Andre free, and he was not going there. I <laughs> was just like, "Why? Why did you sell me bad mushrooms?" <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think yeah. So in a in a I guess environment where. Uh, someone is is kind of in a clean room looking at this movie uh from a perspective of just looking at a screen and not trying to like insert anything into the movie's content i think that's maybe maybe that's andre's point of view or maybe that's andre's like where that take comes from i think that's 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 that makes sense um 
I think Hondo and myself and Adrian are a little bit more like self-insertion, but I want to hear about why Jaime had a cultural take on it as opposed to like personal reality and personal journey. And it it sounds like the whole uh, idea of the movie being a mirror of culture has to come from some mindset that, that you uniquely have because you're so special. Um, yeah, well, I just saw the film playing out it, uh, itself. I didn't, I didn't research. Uh, I really, I really went with Adrian's recommendation of not watching, uh, oh, excuse me, not watching a trailer. I didn't do any research beforehand. I don't even know who the director is. So I really just got into it and it just became quite evident, uh, when he was talking about, there is a holy mountain in which the nine, um, the nine gods sit around. And as, as they went through, uh, the archetypes, you had the politician, you had the general, you had the, the financial advisor, um, the, the artist, I think at some point, uh, it just, it just all became quite apparent and that's what I saw. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was looking for that. The, the first 20 minutes were, were the most, some of the most disconcerting, uh, images I've, I've ever seen and was really looking for the film to kind of come together and it did, uh, and it made itself quite apparent. Um, so I mean, that, that's how I saw it. It just kind of presented itself to me. I, I don't think I, I don't think I interjected myself, um, into the film, although I, I, I will see that a lot, a lot in the film, uh, like, you know, kind of like my own story, um, throughout the film, but this was more like the, the objective thing. And it, it was a brand new film that I hadn't seen before. And one that, uh, both Joseph, you and Adrian were really excited about. Um, so I, I was just, I was just in it, but, but yeah, all those things became apparent to me. So that, that's how I, that's how I took it. I learned to not get excited about movies. Adrian wants the rest of us to see that he's seen by himself. <laughs> I, Wait, I, so is there, okay. That's, no, that's ahead, my takeaway from this movie is next time. Just be like, Oh yeah, I watched it. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is my taste in movies like really that, that odd? I'm I giving mean, the silence is your answer. There. Yeah, I guess, I guess it is. I but think with Adrian's movie choices, he just ha- like you can't just sit there and be told what to watch and just be told what to interpret. Like you have to sit there and either be in an alternative state of mind or you have to sit there and think. And admittingly, that's hard to do when you're watching a movie and you're just wanting to be want something to watch. So yeah. you have to be a act like an active an active listener, an active watcher. Uh, uh. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm not a turn off your brain and and let something wash over you kind of kind of guy when I'm, I'm watching anything so i think andre just wants a marvel movie give him the good guy give him the bad guy and let the good guy beat the bad guy <laughs> yeah no i'll go watch jurassic park like a million times in a row okay so i i want to know what the difference is between a movie that you can watch over and over again and then this andre uh, the startling imagery is probably a good example of it. <laughs> and it's not so much like gore I'm okay with, like blood I'm okay with, but there was just a lot of, uh, there was a lot of dick in this. There was a lot of just like topless <laughs> women walking around. There was the quadriplegic guy who like, I didn't really know what he was doing at first um, or really at the end. Cause I don't know. He didn't show up, but like eventually he just disappeared. And I was like, I don't know where he went, but he's gone. Um <laughs> So I like, I really like, you have to suspend disbelief for me. And this movie didn't do that because it was so outrageous. Like you knew 
okay, they're just trying to be outrageous to be outrageous. And that, I guess that just doesn't do it for me. I don't know if it was so much outrageous just for the sake of being outrageous as it was. Let me take the most jarring imagery I can possibly make you almost throw up in your chair, which I did because I was eating to all our listeners. Out there, please do not eat while watching this film. Um, but I really think it was uh, Jodorowsky, Jodorowsky, I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, his, his own vision for let me take this first 20 minutes. And if you can't make it through this first 20 minutes, which all of us damn near didn't, unless you're Adrian or Joseph, um, then we'll really start the, to get down to the brass tacks and really get underneath what it is that I'm trying to show you. Um, I, I've experienced whether it's film or music or writing, uh, someone just trying to push or activism, someone just trying to push boundaries for the sake of pushing boundaries. And I never felt that. I never felt that from this film, uh, like I might have from a Gillette ad or a coach commercial. Um, so, so to watch this film, I never felt like it was Jodorowsky, like just pushing the boundaries for the sake of pushing them. Like all of it really connected together, even though it was the most disturbing shit I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, there were obviously, yeah, there obviously was a lot of, there were, yeah, they, they killed a lot of actual. I was actual like, were there live animals that died in this movie? Yeah. Yeah. They, they definitely did. Yeah, I didn't stick around for the credits where it normally says, like, no animals were harmed in the making of this. I immediately was like, this is over. Turn it off. <laughs> I'm just worried. Like, it's good for another four days on Amazon with my rental, and I'm not going to open the Amazon app for another five days. <laughs> I think after this, you should almost watch it and see if you can take any. No, no. I knew you were going to say that. And no. I will take y'all's word for it that that's what he meant, and you all found the meaning of life in this film, and I'm happy for that. I don't need it. <laughs> so it's not even, so it's not even that like you didn't like the movie. It's like, you are like, uh, mentally and physically averse to this film. Like you do like, <laughs> it's the ego blocking, blocking the, the, right, yeah, enlightenment. That's, that's what I heard is yeah. that he's actually, I, Andre's actually not no, in the I, active pursuit of the meaning of life. I definitely would have stayed in the bar at the bottom of the mountain and been like, no, I'm good here guys. Go on. It's fine. Leave me behind. <laughs> Okay, so let's let's switch gears here a little bit. Let's uh, let's talk about a little bit of the 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 making of this movie and uh, see if it has any uh, I guess inspiring um, inspiring I guess evidence for why it's not just a bunch of crazy imagery that one, that someone wanted to film. Uh, cause it, I think it kind of, it kind of, it kind of makes sense how things played out. Um, the backing for this movie, uh, was pretty interesting how it came about, uh, came from the Beatles producer, um, uh, not Beatles producer. It came from, uh, the Beatles, like, hold on. Are y'all getting my bad y'all? What happened? We can can hear everyone you. hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, we've been yeah. hearing the whole time. Shit. All right, my recording crapped out. Whatever. Okay. So um, this movie was backed by Alan Klein, who uh, owned the distribution rights to a lot of stuff, uh, most notably the Beatles uh, catalog of music. And uh, 
he was backing this movie because of John Lennon's uh, love for Jodorowsky's film, starting with uh, El Topo, which he uh, semi-directed. Um, so the Beatles had a huge influence on this movie. But uh, Alan Klein, one of his most notable attributes is his incredible greed uh, that everyone kind of talks about that has been in business with him. One thing that he did is he's the reason that the Verve doesn't make any money off that song, Bittersweet Symphony, which is amazing. It's pretty uh, bittersweet. Because, yeah, it's pretty bittersweet. Terrible. Get out of here. Hang up the phone, <laughs> sir. How dare you? <laughs> so, like, his relationship with the Rolling Stones and then with the Verve and how, like, they, they haven't been able to make any money since is just kind of an interesting story by itself. But uh, also it kind of plays into that whole thief idea, that thief archetype, um, because he actually got so upset at Jodorowsky uh, that he wouldn't make an erotic film for him, like create an erotic film for him, that he Wait, revoked the distribution rights. No, no, no. He, he wanted Jodorowsky to create a erotic film for him, like a, a film based off of an erotic novel. And since Jodorowsky like took money up front and then just decided not to do it, he revoked the distribution rights of both El Topo and The Holy Mountain, which is why this movie was so hard to see for a really long time. Um, I think that kind of plays into why the archetypes of stuff like tarot cards, um, how obviously like he had uh, inspiration from stuff that was... I guess it's going on at the time, Aleister Crowley um, and his uh, obsession with the occult, uh, all the way to stuff like he worked with a Bolivian Zen master and a Japanese Zen master and a Mexican uh, mushroom aficionado to prepare for making this movie. Like there were so many things that were intentionally, uh, I guess just inspiring to him to make this movie that it, it's, it's not just happenstance. It's not just throwing shit at a wall and seeing what sticks, even though it kind of looks that way. Even though they did throw some shit at a wall at some point. And it did stick a little bit. <laughs> um, oh, the final tidbit is just that uh, George Harrison was actually slated to be the, the lead the lead actor that played the thief in this film. And the only reason he didn't, he was fine with the nude scenes, except the one with the hippopotamus in the pool, because he didn't want to show everyone his asshole. <laughs> and, and, and because he said, I will do this movie, but not that scene. Jodorowsky was like, no, that scene actually is very important to the movie and needs to be in it. So sorry, George, you can't star my film. Until you mentioned it right now, like I forgot about the baby hippopotamus. <laughs> <laughs> forgot about Fiona. It's like there's just more and more proof that Andre's ego was really trying to shut this down. It was. It was like, no, go do it. Remember, dear Zachary, go do it again. <laughs> uh, Joseph, th thanks for the backstory and agent too with the with the book. You know, uh, at the time, when was this? 1973. Something I like think that. so. Yeah. 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 Um, so Mirza Eliade, uh, taking it back to archetypes, uh, was still alive. He's a 20th century mythologist. And uh, it's interesting that this, this, uh, this film was about mountains uh, because of the way that mountains are perceived as holy. So in Eliade's book, uh, The Nature of Religion, the, the Sacred and the Profane, 
he talks about how mountains were one of the first like holy spaces because they, and they were revered because they were of the earth. Like they t- touched the earth and the sky. So they were both the lowest and, and the tallest point. And, you know, people would, or cavemen or whoever would be carving uh, their space out of a mountain. Uh, they would kind of journal their day in, in the walls of the mountain. And Eliade goes on to tie uh, this to what a temple is. So the Latin root of the word time is tempus and the Latin root of the word temple is templum. Uh, so uh, the etymology there is, is, is really linked in the, the TEMP. So it's actually like the mountain being inside the mountain and returning to the mountain actually represents time and the world outside is, is the outside world. That's actually what the church represents too. Every time you go into church, it's like you're retreating into the sacred space. And for people who hadn't developed institutions at the time, uh, Homo erectus or Cro-Magnon man or whoever, uh, they just returned to the mountain as shelter, um, as a sacred space where they could convene away from the outside world, get themselves together, you know, sleep, eat, whatever else, uh, and then go back out into the world. So that's what the mountain represents, according to Eliade. So I wonder if uh, Jodorowsky was also reading something like that. Well, I, I think you're totally on the right track. Um, if I could, I'm I'll quote the, that source novel. Um, so there's a lot of talk about alpinism in that source novel. And this is a, a quote from there. Alpinism is the art of climbing mountains by confronting the greatest dangers with the greatest prudence. Art is used here to mean the accomplishment of knowledge in action. You cannot always stay on the summits. You have to come down again. So what's the point? Only this. What is above knows what is below. What is below does not know what is above. While climbing, take note of all the difficulties along your path. During the descent, you will no longer see them, but you will know that they are there um, because you have observed them carefully. There is an art to finding your way in the lower regions by the memory of what you have seen when you were higher up. When you can no longer see, you can at least still know. So it sounds like we should have watched Free Solo. (laughs) Wait, what? Joseph got it. Thank you, Joseph. Isn't it uh, going to be available on something soon, like for free? Yeah, I think it's either already on Amazon or Netflix. Okay. Okay. So to that point, Adrian, is this something that I guess informs our idea of spiritualism or um, personal growth? Or is it just something that is uh, underlying theme of everything that we do. Is the mountain a metaphor for, I don't know, what? It, what is the mountain a metaphor for? Is the mountain a metaphor? Or is the, the mountain like just life? I, I think it's, um, it's the challenges that come up in life, right? Like everything looks like a mountain until you reach the summit. And then once you're there, you're like, mm, I can do that again. And you survived it. You've, you've beaten it. Right. And it, even, even the movie, like once you, once you get there as difficult as it was to watch like the insanity that was going on, like he, he kind of, kind of shows you like, Hey, this is all a joke. Like no matter how ridiculous a cinematic experience uh, you have in any movie, uh, real life is outside of the theater. Real life is outside of what you're watching on the screen. Um, it, it, this is all a, a, you just, a choice to uh, go on this journey with whatever the director wanted to, to convey to you. And at any point in time, you could be like Andre, just shut it down. And I really think Adrian, that he actually ran the gamut of expression uh, and 
emotion. Uh, there was even some, there was humor in a lot of it. It was just outrageous and, and absurd. Uh, one of my favorite moments actually was when, uh, it was the, I think it was the artist guy who had, um, his lover and he had one of his gallery attendants, um, start putting this giant phallic object into this box and it turned, it opened up into this thing and formed another little box. Like, you know, it was, it was wild, man. I thought that was hilarious. But, uh, uh, yeah, so he, he really ran the gamut of, uh, of expressing all of that. And I was right in tune with it. I, I was right there. And I think you're right. I think the whole film itself felt like scaling a mountain, but you had, you had the, the, the base, you establish the base right off the bat and then you're just climbing all the way through and then you reach it and, and only to realize like, Oh, I can just take my own step forward at this point. For me personally to climb an actual mountain. Well, okay. So interesting thing about the movie, they actually climbed that mountain because the film was shot chronologically, um, entirely chronologically, which is insane. Uh, the film also, uh, had, uh, elements of very intense sleep deprivation because the crew and cast weren't really allowed to sleep for more than four hours a night. Um, and we're also fed, uh, psilocybin and just psychedelic LSD, anything that you could think of, uh, throughout the filming of this movie. Um, it got more intense as they got higher up the mountain because they were filming in higher altitudes and were doing crazier things. Uh, and, uh, obviously the scenes got a little, a little more ridiculous, uh, as, as they started, I guess, battling with themselves the ideas of themselves. Um, but yeah, so you're seeing on screen kind of the, the actors and, how they're dealing with the actual journey of climbing this holy mountain with uh, Jodorowsky as the, <laughs> the actor of the alchemist, uh, writer, director, uh, they're, they're all just kind of, uh, following, following the Pied Piper at this point. And, um, you, you kind of see it play out on screen at the same time too, what Adrian was saying, like saying it's all a joke at the end. I don't know if he's really saying it's a joke. I think he's more trying to say that they actually went through the journey and you didn't, you just kind of felt like you did. You felt like you climbed a mountain with us, but you actually have to climb your own mountain. And I think by what Adrian uh, uh, says, and I'm going to try and decipher it when he says that things are a joke is that when you get to that point of such realization and all of what you had to go through, you take a look back at all of what you had to go through. Like getting to the top of the mountain, it seems so minuscule. And so you just can't help but crack up because you thought it was the most trying time of your life when all you had to do was just take that next step forward. Hondo, if uh, you had to climb a mountain while taking a lot of drugs, what drug would you decide to take to make that mountain climbing easier? Well, seeing as how I've done this before, I can answer that pretty confidently. Um, I, yeah, I, I had an inkling that, that you might have, so I wanted to throw it to you. <laughs> um, psychedelic drugs are definitely not the way to go. Um, I was in uh, Colorado and I did some hiking on some mountain trails over there and actually uh, THC and is it C? I always get them confused. Is it CBD, right? It's yeah, the cannab- cannabidiol. 
Yeah, cannabis oil. Um, I took a bunch of edibles uh, as I was trekking, and it was honestly one of the most pleasant experiences I've ever had in my life. Um, it just it gave you just enough of a buzz to where you could kind of appreciate it differently, but not to the point to where like it deterred your ability to hike. Um, yeah, I just got a few packets of chocolate and was just munching on that throughout the entire trip, and it, it was it was awesome. Like y'all can go on my social media pages and there's pictures of me just chilling out there, just enjoying the views. And it's, it's been one of the most pleasant things I've ever experienced in my life. So hands down, Colorado, give me some THC and some CBD and I'll, and I'll be on cloud nine. Literally. Yeah, <laughs> literally. <laughs> no one's ever, y'all never done that before. Not Colorado per se, but gone hiking and just done shit. <laughs> Not no. on a mountain. Yeah, not on a mountain. <laughs> Y'all should try I've it. Been, I've been on a mountain before, though. <laughs> does that count? <laughs> does, yeah, does that count? Did being on the mountain give you a high? He just got dropped off on the mountain and then picked up later. <laughs> oh, this mountain. <laughs> Uh, no, Hanna, I've actually made the, the same uh, journey along the Chisos Mountain Trail in Big Bend, which I believe is like round trip is 20 miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we made it up to the peak and then camped overnight and made it back down. And yeah, it was it was exhilarating because it's just you and that mountain and, and, and anything else like might all go through. Uh, your mind, which is, which is kind of like how I kind of saw that in the film, if I interjected myself at all, is that you'll just go through these crazy illusions or delusions, um, all just throughout your mind. Like it's like it's like your mind trying to sort that out until it can get itself clear and free, and then it's just you in the mountain. You feel great. Maybe that's the problem, guys. Maybe I just need to do drugs while on a mountain. Could be a start. I think that's yeah. Could be a start. That could that could be that could be the biggest. Have, wait, have you been on a mountain before? I don't think so. Maybe that's what it is, man. Probably just hill country, like not not a mountain, just hills. Enchanted rock. <laughs> wait, is Red Rocks carved into a mountain? Because I was there. I think it's like at the base of one. <laughs> All right. Well, let's try and figure out. I think the the most interesting thing to come out of this discussion is the fact that Andre hates this movie so much. Like it's, it's I want to identify what it is because it's got to be something. And I don't think we've we've actually picked on on anything specific uh, that that may be the reason. Um, maybe the easiest way to do this is this is obviously an inspirational movie for a lot of um, sci-fi, fantasy. Uh, just kind of out of the normal realm of, uh, I guess, storytelling or, um, man, just kind of out of the normal uh, run of the mill kinds of movies that that you see. Uh, A lot of directors have have talked about this specific movie as an inspiration to them. in terms of why they made it the way they did or the choices that they, they, they made when making the movie. So let's talk about uh, what we can see as maybe a variation of not the movie as, as a whole, but like uh, 
the direction that Chodorowsky took with this movie. Is there anyone out there right now doing something or in the recent past doing something that, that, that made an impact the way that this has, that you can see uh, a lot of derivative works coming from or a lot of inspired people uh, seeing this, seeing a film and, and, and kind of running with that idea. So I, I think um, right off the bat, uh, when, when I was watching this movie, uh, like the first time I got a lot of um, deja vu type of moments uh, with the matrix. So like the, the matrix is like, you're just living your, your normal life or, or whatever. Then there's this event that kind of throws you into uh, some craziness. You, you're starting to see things a different way. Um, you meet a mentor he introduces you to like this weird cast of characters um, that you'd never thought you'd be a, a part of. And you go off and do, do great things and uh, conquer uh, this obstacle, this challenge that you didn't even know existed just to, like a few days ago. Like that, that's really like the story of the matrix. And I feel like that's also the story of, of this movie. The matrix just made it that much more, um, easily digestible by by the masses, right? Like there, there's that narrative. There's uh, um, things that you're familiar with in in like modern day life that you can kind of use as touchstones and um, guideposts to to let you know like where the story's going and how you should be feeling. Versus um, where I, I think Jodorowsky really does his best to alienate you, so you can kind of get the gist of what, or your subconscious can get the gist with why your your actual conscious is too busy trying to make sense of what the hell it's seeing. I like and your going, take. And going back to the 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 point you made, Joseph, about uh, uh, what he was trying to do, and I actually really uh, I really uh, respect that decision. That if George Harrison wasn't on board for the full thing, hey man, we ain't doing the film. Sorry, we'll call you for the next one. Um, that I feel like everyone. This is why I felt like it wasn't trying to be absurd for the sake of absurdity. But everyone in that film had to be. And that's something I was thinking about throughout throughout the entire film. They had to be 100 uh, percent completely <laughs> committed and being on board um, to help carry out essentially uh, Jodorowsky's Jodorowsky's vision. Uh, and and they all were. Nothing was ever nothing was ever forced or faked. Um, they were all put in those positions. I wonder what kind of like preparation actors. Uh, or if anyone like, like didn't act before that film and this was their first film they were in, like how exactly do you go over a script and, and blocking and everything when this is the type of film that you're doing? So I just wanted to say something about that real quick. Well, do you see any other films like where, uh, the cast has to buy in that way? Like, are there films being made right now where you, you have a cast that just is like, we're making this movie. Oh, you know what? Uh, what about the um, fuck? What's it called? Um, the bear one, um, the revenant uh, with Leo DiCaprio and um, who was the other guy? Tom 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 Hardy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, they had a. Ironically, the director's name was Alejandro as well. Um, Alejandro Iñárritu. Um, he there was several uh, quotes and interviews talking about just the hellish environments and the ridiculous uh, extremes that they had to go to to capture certain aspects of the movie um, and, and to identify certain pieces of just specific cinematography that he was adamant about requiring. Um, 
actually, the more that I'm thinking about it too, I, I feel like there's several translations here because there, there's minimal dialogue in that movie. A lot of the times Leo DiCaprio, his, his vocal cords were slashed um, at the heart of it. And anyone feel free to kick back at me on this one. I feel like both the Holy mountain and even the revenant, I feel like at its core, it's actually a pretty simple message. Um, the message itself isn't too intense um, in sense of what it's trying to tell you. The intensity is in how it's delivered to you. Um, Cause at the end of the day, you walk out of there and you're like, once you feel like you grasp the movie, you're like, Oh yeah, that's what it's telling me. I agree with what it's doing, but it just, it presents it in a way that to an extent kind of shocks you and makes you uncomfortable. And I feel like both of those movies are kind of correlating to that same motive there where they were trying to tell you a pretty straightforward story, but they were doing so in a way that made you uncomfortable or that presented it in a way that you weren't um, necessarily used to or a way you were expecting to hear it. Yeah, definitely. Hannah. That's a good point. And to get to that peak, uh, you have to be shocked and, and get out of your comfort zone in a way. And you mentioned Inyaritu. That reminded me of, uh, of Birdman. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if that's quite uh, in the same uh, storytelling as, or, or trying to uh, make a larger uh, comment on society and civilization as Holy Mountain did. Uh, but I think it was that same kind of ride um, that you went to where everything was just getting thrown at you and you had to go with it. But uh, to get back to your point, Joseph, I, I man, few things other than what Adrian said about the Matrix, few things are really coming to mind because of how unique this was. And actually, if it wasn't told this way, I don't know if we would even be having a podcast about this right now. If if Jodorowsky like didn't go to those lengths to illustrate something, because I'm I'm sure we've all read here a take on. Uh, society and civilization, uh, where someone's just very straightforward, um, uh, coming from the political or the economic aspect. And, you know, someone's just telling you straight, you know, at a dinner conversation and they're just like, no, here's what society and look at this. Whereas if you tell it artistically, um, through some crazy metaphor, like maybe it actually might last longer. Maybe it actually resonate and maybe it'll make it with the listener or the viewer curious enough to, uh, to stick with it. Yeah, I mean, let's be let's be let's be honest here. The only reason we were having this as part of the of the podcast is because of the way it was presented. Like Adrian smirk when he was like, "Hey, let's go check this movie out." Like you knew exactly that it wasn't the story; it was going to be what was presented in front of us and how it was presented. That we were going to end up having this extensive dialogue in the first place. Yeah, no, yeah. I knew it was going to mess me up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it is really like. It's, go ahead. And that's what I'm saying is like, if Jodorowsky didn't make this film in this way, we wouldn't be seeing it right now. And there would have been, it would have been a film on a critique on society and something, 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 right. Like that somebody made or was a book, an article or something that may yeah, be get talked about, get referenced here and there, but, but like Holy mountain, like, Whoa. So did, 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 did the shock value or not? I don't want to call it shock value because that's not what, Maybe it is just shock value. Maybe that that is the best descriptor for it. Was that just what brought it out of the realm of like art house indie film and into the realm of there's something here and it's disturbing and uh, a little unnatural and not what anyone is really ready for. And we're forced to talk about it. But at the same time, there's something underneath that I, I, I kind of get. Uh, I, I'd say it's like a combination of, of, of all those things. And maybe 
we have just been so privileged in our own upbringings because this came out in 1973. I, I, I think that was stated. Um, you know, maybe you had the, the, the half blind guy walking down the street, popping his eye in and out, or your Theo is shooting out, shooting toads in the back or, uh, or, uh, a hippopotamus being slaughtered or something like that. Just, just as, as, as an everyday thing. Like you had those, you had the quadriplegic walking down the street. Um, you know, maybe you just had those things in everyday society and something like that wasn't so shocking back then. Obviously the, the arrangement of, of uh, the juxtaposition of all those images together certainly was shocking. And I don't know how many people were burning their own shit back in 1973. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think it's a just the juxtaposition of all of that imagery without any sound without any exposition really no exposition uh, only by the narrative of the alchemist and we had to get wait 30 minutes to even get a hint an inkling of what was to come later uh kind of really made that film stand out all right i got behind me based on that i got, I got a hot take and everyone here tell me tell me if y'all think about this tell me what y'all think about this he didn't the reason why he made it so intense and so uncomfortable is because he only wanted people that wanted to change or that wanted to learn or that wanted to essentially be the quote unquote equivalent of his apprentice to make it to the end of the movie. The people that didn't want to change or the people that were uncomfortable or the people that didn't have that ideology of trying to find meaning or try to find that sense of quote unquote enlightenment, which is equivalent to the enlightenment they were trying to find in the movie. He was like, I, I don't want y'all watching this movie, so I'm going to do everything I can to turn y'all away from it because I only want the people that are really going to try to get through this thing and try to understand it to make it through the end of the movie. So this is going to so get let me get this straight. You're calling you're calling Andre an idiot then, right? Like, no. That's what you're doing right now. <laughs> I'm saying Andre's in his comfort zone and he didn't want to get out of it. That's all. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to no, get sorry. real a real meta right now. So like it, what Hunter just described kind of sounds like the hero's journey. Right. Like, so like there's a call to adventure and then there's like the threshold where like they, they meet the guardians or like they, they hit that gate where it's like, are you sure you really want to go on, on this trip? Cause by, by going past here, the crossroads, the yeah, crossroads. yeah. By going past, go you can't go back. The only, and the only way you're coming back home is as a different person, you know, like, so, so that's really what Hondo just described as someone that's viewing it, which to me kind of sounds insane, but was that what he wanted? Did he want this piece of cinema not to be about what you were watching, but to kind of force a hero's journey upon the viewer? Well, he's kind of said as much. I mean, uh, to, to, to Jaime's point about like the whole George Harrison thing, like how easy it was for him to just make that decision. Like, you got to know if George Harrison's in that fucking movie, it's, it's everywhere. Like that's, that's immediate, immediate, uh, not popularity, but at least distribution. Like everyone's going to be talking about the beetle that showed his asshole on screen. Um, and, and for there to just be kind of a adherence to the, the, the idea that he had, it says something. I mean, I don't know if it says what you're saying, but it says something about his, his, his unique idea. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so um, I, I would just think like, I, I think he fully had the intent of, I, I don't want everybody that watches the movie to be able to finish it. Like, like that's just, that's kind of the take that I took from it. <laughs> yeah. I'm and, into that. Yeah. And back to like the, the source material, it's like a, it's a summit that only shows itself to the seekers. It can't be, it can't be pointed to or, or guided to like the, the person themselves has to make that decision to go 
past the threshold into the unknown with the knowledge that they're going to come back a different person. All right, Adrian, so you're saying, you're saying we're seekers. What does that make? Um, not the film, maybe Jodorowsky. Uh, what does that make the movie? Yeah. What does that make the movie? If we're the seekers, what does that make the movie? Uh, I would say a map. Okay. It's not, um, it doesn't do anything or is, isn't real in any sense of, of in anyone's reality, but it's a, I think, a it uses symbols to, to help us navigate what our realities are, you know, like there, it's a map, like, uh, Google maps is just a, a bunch of lines and pretty dots and shapes. Um, but somehow we can use it to make sense of the world around us and get to where we need to go. And I feel like if we're seekers, then what he gave was a map. Yeah. I'd say that sounds about right. The alchemist even says at the end, um, and I wrote this one down. If, if you have not obtained immortality, you have at least obtained reality. And when you go through the, the hero's journey, so to speak, and you're expecting this great presentation as all of those seekers were in the film, uh, this great presentation and confirmation and affirmation that you've arrived and you can sit on a golden throne and everything's just going to be handed to you. Nothing's ever going to be this difficult again. Cause why should it be right? Cause that was the only journey you ever had to go through. Nope. Then that cold bucket of, of, uh, of cold, uh, water, a bucket of cold water just comes over you and it's reality, but you're able to have that much clear of a picture of the world below you and beneath you from the top of the mountain. Yep. All right, so let's let's get into this. Let's get into uh, not so much uh, predictions, but um, more about who's doing this now. But we kind of talked talked about that a little bit. But I, I want to talk about uh, some things that I see that it's a difference between uh, redefining a genre versus like straight up creating a genre. I think that this this movie may have kind of created a genre that that may not have existed beforehand. But you see some uh, inklings of it, some some by a, a, a good stretch, some similarities between stuff like, uh, in my opinion, what I was looking at when I was thinking of like what what redefines a genre, Jordan Peele and the horror genre. And in the second movie, he's already uh, in the trailer got people saying the man that redefined a genre like there's 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 such a quick response to um, get out and now just trailers for us that you have to say he's touching on something that people are picking up. Um, and, and it's definitely not to the level of like Jodorowsky and, and this movie, but is there a similarity between why this is becoming such a cultural phenomenon that is popular and critically acclaimed as opposed to just a cult film that only the seekers will find. Hmm. I think to, to well, it sounds like you want everybody. Sorry. I was on mute. Yeah, <laughs> I was uh, like, can you, can you say he's the redefining the genre though? 
like I know everyone else is saying it, but does everyone here feel like he's actually doing that? I, I think so. so. That's the argument to be had. I think he, I think he is, but you can like, you can easily convince me that he's not like, I'm not like all in on that idea. I think he is right now, but I haven't heard arguments against it yet. So, and, and to me, like the horror genre has just been so steeped in like shit and mess. And now we're seeing some kind of like interesting, I guess, branches of the, the, the aspect of horror as a whole, like you see stuff like uh, Midsummer uh, from the the director that did Hereditary. That trailer looks insane. Uh, you see like stuff like this, uh, Us and Get Out. Like that's not what I'm expecting when I go and see a horror movie, but it is something that I really think about after the fact. I think you got a, a couple of things working um, to make horror films go in that direction. So you, you have, I think, uh, folks that are now in the driver's seat, like Jordan Peele, that grew up loving the genre and that they're they're wanting to take it kind of in a, towards a highbrow um, direction. Um, but then you also have studios that realize that um, in terms of like what existed as kind of those horror B-movies, um, are now like it's way too easy to get what you would want in a B movie horror movie from either the sci-fi channel or just like the memes that are like just rampant around Twitter. I mean, who here has heard of like Momo? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so like the, like as a crowdsourced storytelling, uh, I, I don't know how, how you put it, but like, uh, the same way we were raised with like being afraid of seeing like bloody Mary in the mirror uh, in a dark restroom or something like now, because of how social media works, it's like, well, you can like expand on that and create like a, a whole universe of like these spooky stories through crowdsourced storytelling that, that would never ever um, be able to, or that, that studios would never be able to compete with. Right. Cause like they're iterating, uh, so many times and only what's good sticks that and Twitter has studios beat on anything that's lowbrow and just scary for the sake of scary. So like the Jason type stories, the slasher type stories, the, those are all just kind of going to be text only stories or GIF only stories or like image macro stories from Twitter and, and the likes. So, so horror has to kind of take that highbrow turn if it wants to survive as a, a real genre. Yeah. And that's kind of where Adrian, where you're going with that is what I was going to allude to earlier, because when kind of taking it back to the the redefining the genre point, I actually feel like Jordan Peele may have gotten inspiration from previous movies. And those ones were smaller crowdsourced, kind of like uh, not as successful to the level that he's at right now. They may have kind of paved that way to him. So two that come off the top of my head right now is uh, Oren. I'm looking them up right now. Was Oren Pelly? He was the director behind the Paranormal Activity series. Um, I think that was one of the groundbreaking specific to horror, where it showed you horror from a real life context that's not necessarily portrayed in a like it felt like it was something that can actually happen in your house because it was broadcasted in the way as if it was happening in your house. And then another one. Um, was Darren Aronofsky? I'm not going to even try to pronounce that guy. Um, but Darren anybody, Aronofsky. Yeah. Did anybody here see ever see that movie uh, Mother with um, Javier Bourdain and uh, Jennifer Lawrence? Haven't seen it yet. Okay. Well, I've read about it and I've seen a few of the a few of the preview pieces and. 
like going based off of what I see, I actually see a lot of similarities of that cult classic relative to what Jordan Peele is trying to do now in the sense of the imagery in the sense of how it's portraying like almost a, like you're not quite sure what's going on, but there's an underlying tone of, uh, just like bad that's coming, coming your way. I felt like with get out you, it was not necessarily, uh, just straight up horror. It was more of just like that discomfort of just knowing that something bad's on the way. And I feel like there was just a little bit of correlation there. I'm just trying to say, I don't think Jordan Peele is the groundbreaking one. Um, I feel like there's been a couple of others that have paved the way for him. Um, but I still think that get out and us are get out was a good movie. Us will be a good one, but I just don't think it's, he's the groundbreaking paving the way person. Um, because I, I feel like there's previous directors that have done this and could arguably have done it better. Um, but they just didn't have the name recognition or the, uh, the, I'm going to say the cultural impact that get out and us are having right now. Why? Because they're black. Well, no, I mean, dude, okay. I'll, I'll go there. Hot take. I'll do another hot take. Get out tapped into the, a lot of the inherent fears that exist in the black culture today. And I think that was one of the reasons why it got on to so many, like why I got so many accolades and got so much immediate attention is because there was an inherent fear there that was tapped on. And especially given like society as it is today, like it was something that people immediately related to and immediately gravitated towards. But it also made white people the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, mean, they are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, we, we all know that. <laughs> uh, feel free to disagree, guys. Like, I, that's just, it's my two cents, right? I, I could very much be going into left field with that, but I just feel like the timing of it, the timing of get out relative to what was going on in real life. I think there was just a very strong correlation there that a lot of people gravitated towards. Yeah. Well, I think that, that he's touching on something real and also he's the consolidator. Like I, I get what you're saying about he's drawing inspiration from these other people that already did it. But at the same time, the fact that you can consolidate something into a popular medium uh, and have it critically and also, uh, commercially successful is that, that is, that is something to, 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 to say, this is the guy like this. It's not just anyone can do this or like anyone that was in his position could have done it. It takes some kind of, uh, okay, effort so the, on his part. Okay, misinterpreting so Well, no, I, I think Honda's on the right track in, in um, regards to some of what he's saying, because to me, to answer your original question, Joseph, like what's the difference between a cult film and a film like Get Out that is both kind of treading new waters, but is both critically and commercially successful. Um, and I think when it comes to the Holy Mountain versus Get Out, if we're just looking at those two things, it's um, the underlying message behind both of those, which one of those underlying messages kind of challenges the status quo. Uh, and, and I think one of the reasons why you see get out, get the acclaim, um, get the awards it got also be critically successful is because while it's, it's saying something that's maybe new in terms of what we see in cinema, it's, it's something that I, I think it doesn't challenge the status quo. And in fact, almost kind of keeps, the status quo as is, right? Like it's like a, a 
African-Americans like are live a different experience in America. Well, that, that's something that I don't think is um, politically incorrect or I, actually I think it's almost to the point where it'd be politically incorrect to say otherwise. And this kind of is just telling that story in a really interesting way um, with a really genre specific way of um, narrative. Um, so, so to me, I think Jodorowsky's message of like it, nothing in this world is, is something that like is, is I don't know. Um, it, it, the message that I got from Jodorowsky is almost like an anti-capitalist message in terms of like you, you have to live your life and find your own peace and find your own happiness. And that is not going to have anything to do with one, what you have because they have to give away all their money and all their things um, Two, what you accomplish, because at the end of the day, any challenge just looks like a joke. Once you reach that summit um, it, to me, it's, it's finding that inner peace and in, in looking within yourself. And I think if, if everyone did that, yeah, we'd be happier, but like how many, generations of civilization would continue on that way. Like if, if we're not people being happy cogs in the machine and agreeing on these different experiences that different races live in America, how long does America as we know it actually exist? Whereas with get out, I, I, I think it's kind of self-evident when you look around you, when you see the news, like, yeah, that, that's all stuff we, we can all agree on. I don't think anybody's going to top that hot take. All right, so let's let's get into it then. Do we map? <laughs> First off, who's the thief? Well, it's clearly Jaime because he owes me five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'd honestly say at this point, like just the, from the general reactions of. Uh, the movie. I think Andre's, I the said And- Andre's the thief. Yeah, yeah. No, I take that absolutely. Yeah, and that's I'm into that idea. The architect. He was the one trying to show us the ways. <laughs> <laughs> the architect. Wait, so Adrian is the Adrian is the alchemist. Or the alchemist. There we go. Not the architect. Adrian, Adrian is the alchemist. Hondo's the police captain. <laughs> Hondo, do you have a cat? Yeah, do you have a collection of, of balls in your uh, in your house? <laughs> no, I don't. I, I've I'm... been waiting the entire time to bring it up to make a Jaime joke, but I feel like I missed it. <laughs> I was gonna say if I'm the police captain, then Jaime is the indoctrinated subordinate that I get afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so Joseph is the quadriplegic? I think so. I was thinking that. I'm pretty sure that's that's where that's where I lay. Uh, I think the the real the real twist and maybe like the only twist in in the film was when it turns out at the end uh, when when they're on the boat that uh, the alchemist reveals to the thief is that the Jesus archetype is that uh, no, that's actually just a monster you've been carrying around uh, and, uh, your own delusion that that you kind of feel like has been guiding you, but really it's kind of been pulling your leg the whole time. So it's time to go ahead and get rid of it. I, I think that that was that was a really unique twist. Yeah, it Who takes did the Jaime map to me? <laughs> the the indoctrinated young police cadet who gets his uh, oh, we were uh, serious about that. Scrotum <laughs> chopped off. Yeah, oh, that's what Honda said. I don't, no, I don't think I it's think, a serious I think, one. 
I think you're you're uh, the woman with the chimp. <laughs> I was thinking I was thinking the the art gallery owner with like the lover on the side. That's that's what I was thinking. I was the baby think hippopotamus. <laughs> I, was, I can't think of Joseph. Um, speaking of, of imagery, I, I thought, and I don't know if anybody else saw this or if this is what Jodorowsky intended, but so the archetype of the thief guy is Jesus, right? And uh, and he gets put to sleep in the warehouse, like which was kind of like resurrection, which is kind of like Jesus died. But then he wakes up to see all of like these fake Jesuses around him, like to kind of show like... Uh, and, 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 <laughs> <laughs> to kind of show um, around him and I think actually <laughs> right before you have like you know it's like get your uh, what's the line from Bob Dylan get your flesh colored Christs that glow in the dark come get them come get your Jesus piece come pay for your religion this is supposed to be sacred now it's for sale so to see yeah. Jesus waking up in that place around him uh, as, a, as a shock I, I thought that was that was really on point as far as uh, narrowing uh, as far as hitting the nail on the head for uh, uh, how uh, uh, secular and commercial uh, religion, uh, something that was supposed to be sacred, has become. I don't yeah, know if anybody else saw that. That, that, was, yeah, that. That was a good take. Good take. Because like, I, I feel like that was living in my head somewhere, but I, I would not have been t- able to articulate it until you, you just mentioned that. All right. Well, I want to give honestly the last word to uh andre because i want to hear what his favorite part of this movie that he hated so much uh was there has to be something that you actually when it was maybe just a little bit enjoyed <laughs> the credits <laughs> the credit scene. no he said he didn't even sit through the credits so, i'm thinking back and i don't really like i can't think of anything that stood out as good. How dare you? Well, was there something that was a little more tolerable than the rest of the No, movie? you know what? No, no, I got it. I got it. It's what Jaime mentioned earlier. The like Spanish conquest of the Aztecs through frogs and lizards. You were into that or not into yeah, it. You no. just weren't I, not into it. I was it. actually laughing at it. So yeah, that, that was a good part. <laughs> At least until All Jesus right. started yelling at everybody again. That's <laughs> what <laughs> he did. The first 10 minutes was yelling at people. I was like, all right, I guess this is what we're doing. We need a plot re- We need a plot recap from Andre's point of view. You want to live tweet this one like I did with fucking Justice League? <laughs> he's, like, he's yelling, and then two minutes later, he's still yelling. <laughs> well, this time at frogs. Was it changing money in the temple? I don't understand. <laughs> All right, um, this this one this one yeah this one got a, a little uh, a little out of hand I think. <laughs> uh, what's next? What's next? What are we talking about next? I don't know how to segue this into anything other than uh, trying to figure out what what the next topic is going to be. Oh, this is a this is a this are, is a big one. Are we done with this with this pot? Uh, I feel like Jaime might have something more to say. All right, last words. Oh, last words. No, well, Andre got Andre got the last word. I was going to hit stop on the recorder. Um, Yeah, uh, yeah. I was gonna I was gonna say uh, uh, I kind of feel like something stating along the line something like Adrian, like you you've done it again. Uh, uh, Just 
from out of left field, something that <laughs> it just seemed like, I don't know what, uh, just got me, I, I got into it. Like I got it, I got into the film, uh, really digging the message there at the end, the zooming out, like, uh, like the Monty Python style of like, Hey guys, we're actually just filming a film could have gone the, Oh, okay. You pulled that one. Right. But in 1973, maybe they weren't doing so much of that, but it's still, it still all worked and everyone was still just as committed. So I was very surprised to really be digging the message, um, in this film by the end of the film. That's all I got. Cool. I'll say props to you, Jaime. I didn't catch the message for shit when I watched it, but after reading about it, I was like, oh, hey, that makes sense. Now I understand what it's trying to tell me. Um, so I, I think I was kind of in the middle view, um, strictly from watching it. I think I tended to have more of the Andre perspective where I was like, why is this happening? What the hell is it? Why do they need to show that? Like, I asked myself that a lot throughout the movie, um, but after reading about it, it started making a lot more sense. All right, Asian Wilson. Everyone else got their own last words. You want you want something to say? <laughs> I got nothing to say other than uh, I'm glad everyone sat down and watched it. And I think we need to uh, uh, figure out how we can kill Andre's ego uh, on a mountain with some uh, <laughs> with some medicine. <laughs> I think together. we just need to we just need to like uh, wash his asshole on a on a live live stream. <laughs> but That'll... also, like smoke smoke my own shit. Apparently, yeah, out of your ear. Yeah. <laughs> He'll do it for five dollars, Simon. It's not how it works, Adrian. <laughs> All right, Joseph, hit us with that sign off. Double stamp. All right, y'all. Well, this has been Flat Circle again from the Bagaistos Podcast Network. Uh, remember, be yourself, just like everyone else, and we'll catch you next time while we're all smoking our shit. <laughs> 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 <laughs>